0: Welcome to Household Hermeneutics, where we're going to take you on a journey through systematic and historical theology and help you apply it to your daily family life.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to episode number five of Household Hermeneutics. We are starting our two part series on the canon of scripture.
0: Yes, we're going to talk about the Old Testament all the way up to uh, talking about the Apocrypha in this episode. And then in the next one, we'll be tackling the canon of the New Testament.
1: Yep. And this is going to be good because the canon's a really important topic to talk about. Because if we don't trust the canon... Um, If we don't trust the 66 books that we have in scripture, whether we think there should be more added or um, that we've added ones that shouldn't be. If we don't trust that those books are there for a reason, that they're God ordained to be there, um, then you're going to lead into all kinds of heresy. And that's actually where uh, most false religions today go wrong. (laughs) Well, it's where it starts to go wrong is they add or take away from scripture. Yes. So we need Very to make important. sure that we know what the canon is. Um, and today we're going to talk about the formation of the canon, because if we can look at the formation of the canon, why we include certain books, um, it's a big topic to look at. So that's what we're going to look at is the formation uh, specifically starting in the Old Testament. Yes. So last episode, we went deep into the authority and the inerrancy of God's word. Um, And so that next part then is the canon. Um, and so, Jason, why don't you start off by talking about what is the canon? When we yeah. say the canon of Scripture. So
0: we've been throwing around the term kind of loosely right now, assuming everyone knows what it means, but if you may not. So according to Wayne Grudem, the canon of Scripture is, quote, the list of all the books that belong in the Bible. And so what we want to know, what we want to be able to have confidence in is Which writings belong in the Bible and which don't. And like Jamie, like you were just saying, can we trust that the right books have been included and that the right books were excluded and not actually put in there when they shouldn't have been? We just spent several episodes talking about how we should trust that the Bible is inspired by God. It's Mm -hmm. his actual words and that they are all true. So I guess the next question is, can we also trust that God guided in the formation of the canon to make sure that the books he wanted are in there and the books that he did not actually inspire are not in there.
1: Well, and this is really important today. Well, this actually, this has been a topic of conversation for the past 2000 years. So this is an important topic always within Christianity. Um, but in the last 20 years or so, there has been a lot of talk of Gnostic Gospels, um, the Gospel of Thomas. I can't even think off the
0: top of my head there's a
1: lot of there's other yeah other gospels that kind of pop up and say oh these were written by thomas by a disciple by contemporaries of jesus and um it what's it's so important is when you study we see that um you can actually see that It was written 900 years after Jesus, and no, it was not written by a disciple. Um, There is actually so much history that we can look at. We can see certain gospels or certain writings were uh, refuted absolutely Mm -hmm. immediately and were discredited and said, these are not canon. Um, And there's other ones that were accepted as canon immediately. And we see, uh, you know, when you really look at that, we can have full confidence. Uh, in which writings belong in the Bible and in which do not, like Jason was saying, and so uh, that's why it's important to look at that because um, those false writings contain a lot of heresy, um, and that's where certain things um, like Dan Brown's books, um, what are those called?
0: Oh yeah, um, the Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code. Those.
1: those are based on. Um, so I think that one's based on the Gospel of Thomas, but it might be some of the other writings. I can't remember now. It's been so long since I've read those and looked at those. Um, But those start to contain things that sound somewhat Christian, and then they diverge and they go into heresy.
0: Usually they end up casting doubt on the actual words of Scripture in some way.
1: Right. Or the divinity of Christ. um, And it brings Mary into it. And there's all this junk that it brings in um, that's absolute heresy, that is not Christian, and yet it sounds Christian at first. And so that's where it is really important, especially as we are, Ourselves discipling our own hearts, yep. um, but also discipling our children and raising them that they know to look for this stuff and yep. that they're they're on guard. And so that's why this topic of the canon yep. is so important.
0: So let's start with a with a verse Deuteronomy four two. Moses is talking to the Israelites when he says, "You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you." This is very much talking about this issue. We want to know what is included in the Bible so that we may actually live according to that. I'm going to quote Wayne Grudem again on this topic, talking about adding or subtracting from Scripture. And he said that that, quote, would be to prevent God's people from obeying him fully, for commands that were subtracted would not be known to the people, and words that were added might require extra things of the people that God had not commanded. So that's why this can be so important, because it directly impacts our Christian life, and how we're supposed to walk in Christ. Scripture is our authoritative canon because it comes from God. So let's look at what uh, 15th century reformer Peter Martyr Vermigli said. He said on this topic, thus says the Lord, Dominus Dixit, ought to be held as a first principle into which all true theology is resolved. That is the importance of knowing God's words. And this is a very much continuation of our last several episodes. Uh, And and so I, I think that this is going to be Really good.
1: Well, it's important to like that quote you just said is the canon is from God. And so um, this is an interesting uh, kind of dichotomy as we get into this discussion, because we're going to talk about there's different councils that met to determine Uh, which books should be in the canon and which shouldn't. And um, I think there's actually a lot of historical evidence we can look at. You know, it's actually very interesting. And I think we can have confidence in the canon, um, even just from a historical perspective. But it's not also just men coming together and deciding um, this is the canon that we trust and believe God intended for us to have and that God created. And so we have to remember that balance too. It's not just men that met and decided these, but men that met and decided guided by the Holy spirit. And that this is the Canon that God had. And you know, we have to, we have to remember that as well.
0: Yeah. If we believe that God had these, his words written down for us, then we should also have no problem believing that he sovereignly oversaw the formation of the Canon in such a way that it contains his writings for us and not incorrect ones. I don't think that that is uh, too much of a leap to say. If we, it, yeah, He wanted us to have his word, and therefore he would oversee that, that process. So uh, let's just really quick look at uh, chapter 1, section 2 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, because it says this on the canon. Under the name of Holy Scripture, or the Word of God written, are now contained all the books of the Old and New Testament, which are these. Of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. It then goes on to recite the list of the 27 New Testament books, but we'll save that for the New Testament episode. And then it concludes by saying, all of which are given by inspiration of God to be the rule of faith and life. So with that said, we're looking today at the 39 books that make up our Old Testament canon. So like like Jamie has said, it can be really helpful to look through history when talking about the formation of canon to see what believers in the early church, in like the the, the original like Jewish audience and uh, up through the Reformation, Middle Ages to now what they considered canon and how they came to that conclusion. So when we look, we're seeing that the oldest collection we have, the very oldest by date of God's written words would be the Ten Commandments. They could, they are considered the very beginning of the Old Testament canon. We see in Exodus that the Ten Commandments were written by God's own hand. He gave them to Moses and they were stored in the Ark of the Covenant. That's that's where they kept them for safekeeping. Mm -hmm. And uh, that constituted the terms of the old covenants between God and his people. So historically speaking, that was the very beginning of written canon, the Mm -hmm. Ten Commandments. So then later in in Exodus, and I did not put down all the references or quotations because otherwise this episode would be our longest by far of just Mm -hmm. like reading from the Bible, which is not bad. But that's not what we're here to do is just read Exodus. We can see that Moses wrote other things down that were officially deemed worthy of being stored in the ark Mm -hmm. alongside the tablets. That's where they put his writings. Now, these would come to be the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. So then Moses died and Joshua took over writing. Scripture that was considered canon. Joshua twenty four twenty six says, And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the terebinth that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Mm. Now, when you look through the Old Testament, you can see that this pattern continues several times. It continues where others called by God, usually in the office of prophet, mm. added writings that were officially considered to be canon. So here are just a couple examples to give you a taste. In 1 Samuel 10.25, it says, Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Again, in 2 Chronicles 20.34, another example. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, from first to last, are written in the chronicles of Jehu, the son of Hanani, which are recorded in the book of the kings of Israel. And finally, just as another example, Jeremiah thirty two. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. So, as you can see, this writing and adding to the Old Testament canon continued throughout the Old Testament history until the time that the Old Testament ended chronologically. So now scholars date this basically by saying that the book of Malachi, the final Old Testament prophet, the book of prophecy, around 435 BC, which also very, very well coincides with the final o- Old Testament books of history, which would have been Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, mm-hmm. chronologically, mm-hmm. Were, were actually dated right around to a, a, around that same decade.
1: Mm-hmm. So it was like right when yes. that Old Testament period exactly. would have been ending.
0: So that is the closing of the Old Testament canon as considered officially throughout history by by the Jews of the time, by the early church fathers, that around 435 BC is when the Old Testament canon closed. Now, obviously, there's 435 years approximately between that and the start of the New Testament. So that is a time where we do not have any writings that are considered actual scriptural canon, even though there are a lot of historical writings of that time.
1: Now, that's partly what's interesting, too, is I think even at that time, they considered the canon closed. This was not something that 800 years later, people looked back and decided this was very much something that even at the time, um, they felt like there wasn't somebody speaking for God at that point. Yeah.
0: And this is actually corroborated in the writings of the time that are not considered canonical. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first book of Maccabees, which is dated to around 100 B.C., so that would be like 350 years later. Claims that there were no one who could speak to God with God's direct authority like they did in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. There are there are verses in there that that's what they're talking about.
1: So uh, so, for example, Jason just mentioned the book of First Maccabees. So that is actually a book that would be considered the Apocrypha. So um, as evangelical Christians, we do not count the book of Maccabees as scripture that is not included in the 66 books. If you're not as familiar with the names, cause there's that's 66 books to keep track of. Right. So if you're not as familiar with the names of the books of the Bible, uh, that is not one. Um, we do, you know, you can look at the book of Maccabees, um, as history, like because there, there was a person recording history in right. that time um, to see some of the history that happened between the close of the old canon, um, the Old Testament and Jesus coming. Uh, but We do not look at it as authoritative scripture. It is not somebody writing on behalf of God. Yeah. Um, the same way we would look at the writings of Josephus was writing. um he was a Jewish historian. He was just writing about things that were happening. So you can look at it as history. But we do not look at it as God's yeah, We word. do
0: not assign it the same level of like inerrancy and, and inspiration or no, we, we and assign, authority. We assign no, yeah.
1: no not the same level. We assign no authority, right. no inerrancy, no, yeah. It's it's just, you can look at it as a history book written by a fallible human right. being.
0: And towards the end of this episode, we'll talk even more about the Apocrypha, but that, that's, that's a right. good point. Um, and you, you just mentioned Josephus, yeah, he's often generally considered the, the greatest Jewish historian of the first century. Mm-hmm. And, and we
1: do. We get a lot of um, Josephus is really interesting to study because we get a lot um, of really interesting insight into the early uh, Christian movement and everything through the eyes of Josephus, yes. who was a historian, which is really cool. Yeah. So go ahead.
0: So on this topic, he said, from Artaxerxes to our own times, a complete history has been written. But has not been deemed worthy of equal credit with the earlier records because of the failure of the exact succession of the prophets. So he's he's literally stating there that all the writings that they're they're tracking from Artaxerxes to his own time in the first century, uh, they exist. But he certainly did not deem them worthy of equal credit with. Earlier records, by which he's referring to lots of the books of history and of the prophets that are in the Old Testament,
1: right? And he is he is saying that in that time period, in that in that first century, he already and he is not alone in that. That would have been the popular opinion right. of the day is that they were not considered um, they were not considered scripture.
0: Yep. Another interesting thing about Johe jo- jo- I, I keep saying his name wrong. About Josephus is that in his writings from around 80, 95, he reckons that there were exactly 22 canonical books of Old Testament scripture. He counted them as five books of Moses, 13 books of history, and four books of hymns and precepts. So that's kind of weird if you just read that because you can say, well, then why should we trust him? Because we think there's 39 and he's only counting 22. That's a problem. Was he wrong? Is everything we've been talking about up to now unhelpful because he was wrong? This doesn't actually help establish it? So not, not at all. According to the Jewish reckoning, sometimes multiple books were combined and considered as one. So in this specific example, Josephus called first and second Samuel, a single book. He did the same with first and second Kings Mm -hmm. and first and second Chronicles. And as a matter of fact, they, at the time actually kind of smushed all 12 of the minor prophets together Mm -hmm. into one book. It was like the the book of 12 prophets. And so when you break out all those books in a way that we consider them today, Josephus actually was talking about the exact same mm-hmm. books that we are. So, so
1: that's just, it's very interesting. I, I I, think that's very cool when you study this is that even by the first century, mm-hmm. 2,000 years ago, the Old Testament was very established. Yes,
0: already. even it more was so.
1: already done.
0: Yeah, even more so universally from such an early date than the New Testament. I think that's probably because uh, by the time, you know, Jesus came in, 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 you know, we started the whole new calendar, Reckoning of Years, they like the the Jewish people had sat with these same exact books that were always Mm -hmm. considered Canon forever. Mm -hmm. And so then Jesus came and then his apostles and other people started writing other new books. And it was like, Well, are these inspired? And so there's actually a lot more question that we'll have to get into for the New Testament, uh, looking at why we consider the ones we do canon. But it was a lot more straightforward in the Old Testament. So another very compelling fact that helps us to trust the Old Testament canon is that the evidence all points to Jesus himself and the very first early generations of New Testament Christians universally accepting all these 39 books in the Hebrew Bible as their Old Testament. First of all, there is an absence of any record of dispute between Jesus and the Jews over the content of the canon. Uh, They apparently completely agreed that the canon of the Old Testament closed after Malachi and the last history books, like we said, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, chronologically speaking. Also, Jesus and the other authors of the New Testament books frequently quote from Old Testament scriptures over 295 times It was the count that I found in my research. So and 100 percent of those times they're quoting from canonical Old Testament books, never from works in the Apocrypha or other historical writings. It's always from the books that we already consider canon.
1: Right. So then this, of course, brings us to the issue of the Apocrypha. Now, um, that's kind of a weird word. So if you're not familiar with that. Um, The Apocrypha is the collections of writings um, that the Roman Catholic Church considers scripture canon, but we as Protestants do not. Uh, And this is an important distinction because a lot of the teachings that Roman Catholics differ on uh, when it comes to whatever, just certain doctrines that they differ from Protestants on, they are pulling a lot of that stuff from the Apocrypha, which are books that we do not count as scripture, that they do. And that is where it does lead to a lot of um, some pretty significant uh, doctrinal differences. And so that's why it is important to know. It's important to know why, as Protestants, we do not count the Apocrypha. Um, And there's different flavors. I think there's some who would say the Apocrypha is on equal authority with all scripture, but there's some who would say, well, it's not. So we understand that if you're Roman Catholic, we're not trying to offend you. Um, There are some that would say, well, no, it's lesser writings, but we still count it. So there's There's different flavors in there for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, But that is the important distinction is we do not count it as scripture in any way, shape or form. Right. Uh, It's historical writings.
0: Yes. And so uh, the, the Westminster Confession talks on this very briefly in section three of chapter one, where it says the books commonly called Apocrypha, not being of divine inspiration, are no part of the canon of scripture and therefore are of no authority in the church of God, nor to be any otherwise approved or made use of than other human writings. Mm-hmm.
1: And that is really important. Yes. That's a very important <clears throat> distinction.
0: Yes. So there is, uh, if you look back in history, the the apocryphal books, were never accepted as scripture by the Jews. Uh, and it actually, they started to gain more traction as some people considering maybe they are um, Old Testament canon uh, in early church times, there became more of a divided opinion on that. And, and I think one of the biggest reasons for that was when um, Church Father Jerome included the Apocrypha in his Latin translation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. He, he's famous for, he was the Latin translation. He's the one that did that translation, called the Latin Vulgate, completed in mm-hmm. AD 404. And because he included those books in it, a lot of people started saying, well, these books are in my Bible, in my Latin mm-hmm. Bible, like, are, are they equal to other scripture? Mm-hmm. And um, it, this reason actually doesn't hold up to scrutiny because Jerome himself elsewhere personally did not believe that they were scripture. Mm. So he included them because he thought they were good and useful books. He actually Mm. said, quote, they are books of the church and could be helpful for believers, but they were not included in the canon. Mm.
1: But yeah, that created confusion. It
0: did create confusion.
1: Uh, So, well, yeah. And so overall, you see the sentiment against the books was strongest The earlier back you go. So the earlier back, even when the writings themselves, the Maccabees were writing, they were not considered scripture. They were not considered canon at that time. So the earliest you go back, immediately they were not accepted. And it's like the farther out you get, the more people started going, well, maybe. Right. So that's a red flag there as well, because the earliest, you know, writings were, you know, it was not considered that.
0: Yeah. So another reason that we as Protestants do not consider the Apocrypha being equal canon is because... There are many Christian lists from from the far back of the Old Testament books, and they were never actually featured. Melito, Bishop of Sardis from AD he had a list. He did not consider them canon. He actually wrote, quote, when I came to the east and reached the place where these things were preached and done and learnt accurately the books of the Old Testament, I set down the facts and sent them to you. These are their names. I'm not going to read them because we've gone over what they are. The the 39. Yeah, (laughs) it is. So actually, there is one thing to note about his list is that he did not include Esther. Mm -hmm. This is because at the time there was a little bit of doubt in some parts of the early church of the canonicity of Esther. But that was eventually resolved and became uniform with the original Jewish view because they always did Mm -hmm. consider it to be canon. Mm -hmm. So then there were, like I said, there were several lists, church historian, and I'm going to slaughter his name. I think it's Eusebius oh, yes. uh, from AD 325 mm-hmm. and the early church leader, Athanasius, Bishop of Alexandria, Alexandria, his list from AD 367. They included the 39 books that we consider, and they did not include the Apocrypha. Mm-hmm. So the Apocrypha was actually not considered canon in any official capacity at all until the Council of Trent in 1546, where the Roman Catholic Church declared it officially to be canon. Mm-hmm.
1: So it's important to note in this discussion, as evangelical Protestants, um, that the Council of Trent in 1546 was held in response to Martin Luther and that pesky Protestant Reformation <laughs> that was spreading at the time. Um, so it was definitely the the reformers did not count it as canon. Um, this was something that the Catholic Church um, at that time kind of was in response to uh, for for putting that down. Um, and so there are there are many many. Points of divergence there as Protestants that we would get away from the Roman Catholic Church yes. at that time. Yeah, it
0: does, and this is something you mentioned earlier. It does seem like the church was probably highly motivated to officially canonize mm. the Apocrypha because some of those books in the Apocrypha actually held a lot of the support that is kind of needed to support some of the mm-hmm. Catholic teachings that were specifically mm. being rejected by Martin and the reformers. Mm-hmm. Uh, including things like prayers for the dead and justification by faith plus works. There are within some of those uh, apocryphal books, it talks about those things. And so it was probably very important to Roman Catholics to say, yes, these are scripture.
1: Right. In which the reformers um, and us as current Protestant um, Christians would fiercely argue against.
0: As a matter of fact, a conciliary decree was made during the Council of Trent that stated, quote, if anyone does not receive as sacred and canonical these books with all their parts, as they have been read in the Catholic Church and as they are contained in the old Latin Vulgate edition and knowingly and deliberately rejects the above mentioned traditions, let him be anathema, unquote. So they were literally threatening Protestants with condemnation for not observing the Apocrypha as canon. So kind of a big deal that happened in 1546, and that is really where the actual official consideration of the Apocrypha to be scriptural canon came to be. So to conclude this look at the evidence for the Old Testament canon being what it is and for Protestants not including the Apocrypha in his systematic theology, which I've actually referenced pretty extensively during this episode and probably again will in the next. So if you would like to go deeper yourself as a recommended resource, I would highly recommend reading that section of Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. He gives four reasons that we can have this confidence for the Old Testament canon being what it is with the 39 books. First, they themselves do not claim the same level of authority as the Old Testament Mm. books.
1: You mean the books, the the, the, the writings?
0: Yes, like we just looked at uh, in the first book of Maccabees. It said that itself. Mm. Uh, The writings of Josephus said that and and elsewhere. Second reason the Jewish people never regarded them as God's Mm -hmm. words. And they were the closest at the time Mm -hmm. being the people of God in the old covenant Mm -hmm. that uh, they, there's no evidence that they ever actually regarded any other books beyond the 39 to be God's words. Mm -hmm. Third reason, neither Jesus nor the other new Testament authors considered them themselves to be scripture. And like I already said, they quoted extensively from the old Testament and they never quoted from any books outside of that 39 books. Mm -hmm. And the final reason that Wayne Grudem gives is they contain teachings that are sometimes inconsistent with the rest of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And as we discussed last episode, that's just not a possibility. Mm -hmm. The Bible is true, and if it contradicted itself, that's that's untrue. Mm -hmm. That would be an inconsistency. That would be a problem. Mm -hmm. And so there were sometimes teachings that contradicted canon books, and that disqualifies it from being canonical. So as far as the Old Testament goes, we should be able to trust for all the reasons we've discussed here. And if you want to go even deeper, go for it, that we can trust that nothing has been missed and that everything that should have been included in our old Testament has been included.
1: Well, so this is important. What we kind of wanted to do, there's about probably 15 more episodes we could film on just this topic, um, is we want to give you some resources for um, diving in. So, Um, One thing I think that can be helpful is when you look at some of um, the, you know, we named three early church fathers who had made lists of Old Testament canon. They had reasons behind those. They didn't just like sit down and off the top of their heads yeah, right, say, ones huh, like. which one do I think? <laughs> they would look back at history records. They would look back at uh, what the Jews of the day thought. They would look at, they were taking a lot of different things into account. And so if you're struggling with any of these, if you're struggling on whether or not we accept the Apocrypha, should Esther be included, um, there is a lot of writing. This, is, this was not made, uh, these decisions were not made lightly and they were not made five or ten years ago. They were made thousands of years ago. Yeah. Um, and there is a lot. We see a lot of documentation. We see a lot. You can read about the reasonings. So if you're struggling with for any reason. And in, in, in today's day and age, it's probably more that you have questions on old test. I mean, new Testament books, which we'll get into next. Like
0: I said, that is more hotly contested
1: like the, well, and just even today though, there's a lot of heresy with the gospel of Thomas and, um, just fake gospels. Um, and those are important to know why. And there's a lot more we can get into that discussion. Um, but with the old Testament, if you do have questions, there are resources and there are things that you can go study deeper. Um, and one of those, again, it big is the Apocrypha, whether or not, you know, if you're Roman Catholic, you do accept them in, in different capacities. I know we painted with a very broad stroke today. There's a lot of different opinions on the Apocrypha, um, but we do, um, you can tell, we do come down very heavily on the side of we are Protestant evangelicals. We are not Roman Catholic. We do not accept the Apocrypha. We do not recognize the Apocrypha in any in any capacity. Um, And so we do understand there are going to be some of you listening who are Roman Catholic and you fiercely disagree with us. And that's okay. Um, We still love you or, you know, whatever. But um, you don't need to send us messages about how we're wrong or, you know, we're open to discussions. But um, there are certain things that we are not Roman Catholic and we do. We just we do not. (laughs) Um, And but it's important. It's important to know um, as an evangelical why we believe what we believe and why we don't include the Apocrypha.
0: So that's our look at the Old Testament canon and why we should have confidence in the books that are included. And I hope it was helpful to you guys. We're going to do the same thing for the New Testament next time. And and by the end what we really want is tying these two episodes in with our deep dive into uh, Scripture's authority and its inerrancy and its divine inspiration as God's own words. Be able to have confidence in the fact that it is so important for our life, that it is life changing and that it is worth living our lives according to to God's scripture. Like that, that that's, that's why we want to take so much time establishing the amazingness and the truthfulness of, of the Bible. So hopefully we've helped with the old Testament this week. And like I said, next time we'll look at the, the other 27 books. So we'll see you guys next time.